Welcome to the world of audio, where every tone and voice can make or break a customer experience. At Holdcom, we understand this better than anyone. Our audio marketing solutions can create a professional and welcoming experience for your callers every time they dial in. Whether it's a friendly voice guiding them through the next steps or the perfect music to play during hold times, every sound element can create a positive and lasting impression. As a consumer affairs professional, you know that providing excellent service is essential, but have you ever considered the impact of sound? Let us help you create a sound experience that your customers will appreciate. Contact Holdcom today to learn more about our customized audio solutions tailored to your brand's unique personality and voice. Welcome to the My Curious Colleague podcast with your host, me, Denise Veneri. We'll be talking all things consumer relations with a focus on consumer product goods organizations and the brand specialist and analyst roles and responsibilities. So, if you like CPGs like I like CPGs, marketing, insights, and caring deeply for your consumers, well, take Hello, it. my curious colleagues. Today, my guest is my colleague, Sheila Jones. Sheila has such an interesting and varied background, so let's get right into saying hello and getting to know her. Hey, Sheila. Hi. Hi. It's nice to see you again. It's nice to talk with you. Yeah, really. After, like... 52 years. This is fantastic. <laughs> this is this is great. So you've been doing so much. I can't wait to get into it. So why don't we just talk a little bit about who you are and what you do or did. Yeah. Sure. So um, I currently own my own company called Wicked Results. But prior to owning my own company, I worked directly in the food business. And uh, my career has spanned between restaurants, consumer products, good companies, the retail side of the business and contract manufacturing. I'm a very focused on personal development and growing companies and leaders for success. Well, and truth be told, we had crossed paths when we worked together at Campbell Soup. Um, I was in consumer affairs, consumer relations, um, which is really my sweet spot. And you had a variety of roles where, like I said, we uh, we had worked together in our various functions. And this actually is sort of like another series that I've been doing where it's like, how can you leverage your other functions and have like a really strong collaboration with them when you're in consumer affairs? Because you do interact with a, a variety of functions. So I'm going to start with function number one of your many functions. <clears throat> can you level set us all a little bit about quality, the quality role in contract manufacturing, like what is contract manufacturing? How is that different from, I guess, company-owned manufacturing? And then, um, you know, the link between consumer affairs. Yeah, sure. If so that, if any. I think you could look at it two ways. A consumer products good company may own their internal assets, their manufacturing plants, and they may utilize those manufacturing plants to produce their products. But sometimes when an organization wants to test a new concept or a new product, they might not be in a financial position to invest in those manufacturing assets. So they'll look outside of their current footprint into what's known as the world of contract manufacturing. 
And in that space, they'll begin a relationship. Sometimes they'll develop a test product. Sometimes a test product will go into market. Sometimes it'll be used for a variety of things. The ultimate success would be if the product was commercialized and then in the stores available for customers for a long period of time. Now, when you ask about the consumer of affairs piece, it's kind of a little bit different space because in a, in a traditional CPG, you're manufacturing and your customers are, are directly connected by the 1-800 number. So if they consume a product, the information that the consumer has, whether it's likes, dislikes, they have a question about something, it will roll mm-hmm. directly into the consumer products good space, the consumer's affairs space for the CPG company. But in the contract manufacturing, you have to link the, cons- the consumer response piece, again, to your 1-800 number. But when you do the investigation of a consumer question or a consumer complaint, you have to go to the contract manufacturer either by phone or virtual or actually physical there to investigate the customer complaint. Whereas in your internal structure where you have your manufacturing plants, you can pretty you pretty much know exactly how the line structure has been set up for daily production. Let me probe a little bit on the contract side. So is it is what you're saying um, you sort of borrow someone else's manufacturing facilities, let's say to test out a product. Are you looking for a contract manufacturer that's got a like capability? Let's say you're you're making a cereal, so you want somebody who's got, you know, dry assembly and manufacturing of of dry goods um, or cereal goods. Or are you trying to find somebody who, I guess, just has the space and you could be running your product next to, say, one of your competitors in the same building. Like, what are some of the things you're looking for in a contract, yeah, contract manufacturing that's, situation? That's, that's a really great question. And the first response is, if you're going quick to market, you would be looking for a contract manufacturer that has same similar assets for the product that you are trying to develop. Now, sometimes there's not capacity. So you might have to build a line in order to get that production up and running. So you could go either way, but you are technically looking for the manufacturing assets to make that product. Okay. So as far as the consumer relations piece, um, I know I've heard of situations where, you know, you're testing the line and so you're going to go to a contractor. I totally, I've seen that. What should, and then also I'm hearing, you know, that there's, it can swing the other way where you've had a contractor and you want to bring it back in-sourced, I think is what that's called, in, you know, bring it back into one of the company's facilities and vice versa. So someone in, you know, my function of consumer relations, what might be some of the things when, let's use, let's use the one example. You're moving from the contract and you're bringing it in-sourced. What might be some of the things that one might be on the lookout for as those you know, uh, products start flowing through the markets, consumers start using it. And you're going to come back to your internal plan. Let's start there. So first and foremost is one of the key things is if you've made product and it's in the marketplace, you would be tapping into the quality department of your contract manufacturer and marrying the consumer responses to the products. You you would want to know 
what positive comments have been made, what potentially negative comments have been made. Mm-hmm. That all typically runs up to the consumer affairs department within the organization, right? So they're like the holders of that data. Very, very critical information for a person like myself who's a scientist. I want to know how well the consumer has liked this product. I want to know the attributes that they find favorable. I also mm-hmm. want to know the attributes or situations in which they have found negative to the product. Because if I'm moving and I have an opportunity to move into a new optimized environment, I want to take the good that's occurred in the contract manufacturer. I want to evaluate the negative spot and I want to bring that negative in, but I want to eliminate it. So what I'm going to do when I move from the contract manufacturing into the internal sourced area, I'm going to pull my consumer's affairs department together. Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk them through this and I'm going to say, When you start bringing this product in, let's get clear code separation so we know when the product was made here, when it's made here. Then I want you to code this correctly so that I can see whether the attributes are the same, whether there's any difference between manufacturer A, manufacturer B. I look at the Consumer Affairs Department as being like the heart or nucleus of the data coming to me. They are extremely valuable to me how they trend the data, how they bucket the data, where they can show effect A over effect B over effect C. It's like having uh, the customer available at your fingertips, but it's through the consumer's affair department. Does that make sense? Of course it does. When you when you call my function the nucleus, of course it makes sense. (laughs) You are a believer. You are a believer and always have been. And, you know, I think that's why you've been so successful. Um, You know where you know where the good data is and how to leverage it. All right. So that's contract manufacturing. Now let's talk. You were also on quality for, you know, a company owned as well as product development teams uh, when we were at Campbell's. Sure. And I think at one point. Regardless, it was a strong relationship between the two, consumer affairs and quality and product development. But I wanted to get your sort of perspective here. So first of all, talk a little bit about maybe what product development is at a high level. And then, you know, how did you benefit from partnering? You know, what were some of the places and and uh, spots where you collaborated with us successfully? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So top line for product development, if you could like bottle it up in a few words, it's taking concept and bringing it to life in a product format, running consumer testing on it, and then figuring out what attributes need to be improved for success, then commercializing that product and bringing it into the market space. Now, my relationship with consumer affairs has been across start to finish on a product. At the birthing stage, They are partners in helping us design attributes. They have a tremendous amount of knowledge over historical collection of data. So they can say to me like, hey, don't make something too salty or don't make it this sweet because we have data that shows that products that skew high in these areas are not going to be favorable to a customer. Now, in this process, when we're in full swing of a commercialized product and it's in the marketplace, one Mm -hmm. of the best things that I think I came across in partnering with you was to get a to get like a quarterly review 
or the performance of the products. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say like a person like myself who's a product developer, we need to have a very neutral perspective of this, right? We need to, we need to come in and be like in the state of continuous improvement because here comes consumers affairs. They have mm-hmm. a lot of information for us. So I don't want to be defensive. I don't want to take a position of this. What I, excuse me, what I want to be is open-minded and say, okay, these guys are bringing me the data that is going to make this product extremely successful with our customer. Always have the customer hat on. Consumers Affair has the customer hat on. I need to have that customer hat on. And if we're in partnership together, we're going to have a home run on products. No, No doubt about it. That's a great mindset because it is tricky because, I mean, who who are we? I'm not there on the lines making the product, running it, at, you know, on the 3 a.m. shift because it, yeah. it, it is it is a little bit challenging. But and but we're that voice of the consumer. And for you to have that mindset to receive whatever comes your way yeah. and benefit from it, of course, is, is fantastic. So you mentioned quarterly meetings. <clears throat> Or can you give an example, even if you have to mask the product, maybe one or two examples of maybe a, a potential sticking point for a consumer on one of the products and and uh, kind of what happened? Yeah, sure. So I've made a lot of different products. I've made bottles, I've made cans, I've made multi-kit products, etc. And I'm looking for the total performance of the product. So in a quarterly meeting, what we might start out with is, how is the packaging performing with a customer? Can they get it open? If there's a reseal function in it, can they reseal it? Is all mm-hmm. of the mechanisms working correctly for the customer on the package part? Now, from the package, it's into the product. So the product could be a simple one, one-dimensional one product, or it could have multiple components. So let me give an example of something that uh, you know I can talk off the top of my head. We had a product line that had um, that had multiple components to it, and we had been struggling to create the specific breadcrumb texture for the product. Right? We wanted the breadcrumb texture to be just like if it was homemade at your house. So, in the manufacturing environment, this is a contract manufacturer. They have a hopper and a spindle. Now, the specifications require that a certain spindle is used. So if if they don't put the right spindle in, they're going to grind the breadcrumb down into basically powder, right? Too fine. If a customer complaint comes in and says, you know, the breadcrumbs were so fine, right? I'm going to go like, oh, wow, Denise, give me that data. Give me that data. Tell me how many packets it was. Was it one or was it a thousand? What was the date range for this? Then I'm going to take that information. I'm going to go back to the co-packer. And I'm going to ask what the line setup was during this time and date range. And then I'm going to realize that the information I'm sending to the co-packer has to be clearer in that spindle XYZ has to be used. I could give you many, many examples of how that input of data comes from the consumer's affair area. <clears throat> and we take it to go back to the contract manufacturer or even our manufacturing plants and help them figure out that they had a problem. The problem is the problem, but the solution is what we're really trying to get through. So we've got a manufacturing team. We got the product development team. We have the consumer affairs team. We're going to make a quick modification in the manufacturing environment. Then we're going to look to the consumer affairs department to tell us, is the, is the customer complaint down or is the customer complaint still going up? 
then we're going to keep looking and researching until mm-hmm. we have an eliminated mm-hmm. for the consumer. Yeah, it's definitely that continuous flywheel um, identifying. Then you guys go and we cause corrective action and then the assessment of whether that fixed there. Now, you mentioned two things. I just want to go back to specs and research. Well, you didn't mention research, but let's go back to specs first. <laughs> so what are specifications in your from your vantage point? Because we're aware of it. Yeah, and- sure. So. Yeah. I think the I think the the way to best look at specs, whether you're a experienced person or a novice, is the design parameters in which the product will perform at the optimal level. So okay. optimal level might mean let's take viscosity as an example. That's the thinness or the thickness of the product. So I'm going to okay, use good. a simple example here that's going to be very easy for people to understand. Let's say I'm making a dip, and the dip. I'm going to take a potato chip and I'm going to plunge into the dip. I expect the dip to be able to stay on the chip and I expect to be able to take the chip to my mouth and eat it without it going all over the front of my shirt. So there has to be a a specific viscosity. It can only be this thin and only this thick. If it's too thick, I'll bust the chip. If it's too thin, it's going to fall off the chip. So the specifications would be, in my layman's terms, is viscosity of the product needs to live between number five and number seven for the actual performance of mm-hmm. being able to plunge in and get the chip to my mouth without having the dip in front of me. And in the manufacturing of, of food products in particular, as well as pretty much anything else, there's a lot of specifications for products. The color, the viscosity, the, the technical attributes like salt or sugar, and things along those lines. I don't think people realize how much actual uh, testing is, is occurring on food products. It's, it's pretty significant. They want to be able to have repeatability and consistency of the product over and over and over again. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And it blows my mind the amount of, you know, like the high on, on a scale, the high value, the low value. And you, you set this for so many parameters, like you had mentioned. So as a naive as a, you know, not a naive, excuse me, but as someone who's non-scientific, why then? And I'm not trying to be smart, Alec, but why, if we have these specs, do, do some products get out that are outside of the specs? Right, right. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. So okay. in a technical environment, there's a sampling plan that occurs for a product. Now, let's be, let's be clear about this. Mm-hmm. You can't sample every single product when it's being manufactured because then there'll be no product, right? If you start there. digging into a container mm-hmm. and you're toying around with it, you're not going to commercialize <laughs> anything. There's not going to be anything yeah. on the shelf. So what we do is we use statistical process control. That's the fundamental, okay. that's the fundamental science that we use, statistical process control. And what it gives you is a sampling plan with a probability that lives very high, like a 99% or 95% probability that says, if I manufacture within this space, 99 or 95% of all the product I make will live in this specification, right? So in in this comparison of this, it's like, let's say that you're driving a car and you have to hit the speed limit every single day. Well, there's going to be times that 
if the speed limit's supposed to mm. 55, you might be a 54, you might be a 56, but every once in a while, you're going to be at 58, right? Or you're going to be at 50. Same kind of thought process in this. It's okay. holding the parameter straight, sampling correctly to make sure that the mass amount of product that goes into the marketplace mm-hmm. is living within those specifications. Now, there's there's some tail ends of the statistical process control. They're the tail ends. They're very, very, very small. They should be within like a 0.05 or, or both, both ends of this, right? Then that says that every once in a while, there might be one product, one can, one bottle, one package that lives on the low side of the spec and lives mm-hmm. on the high side of the spec. Now, mm-hmm. when we see this customer complaints come in, we see thin, thin, thin in the chip example, thin or thick, yeah. thick, thick. I, right. I would be like, wow, how many containers do we expect to be thin or thick? And if it's outside of what I expect in the statistical right. process control, then I'm going to flag it and I'm going to be like, hey, we got a problem in the manufacturing plant. Something's wrong, we're too thin, or something's wrong, we're too thick. But it, all that information is coming from the consumer affairs data collection. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool when it all comes together. And yeah, really it is. It's really cool. really product success. But I want to just get back, if those who are like listening to Sheila, she's actually kind of in, in, in your mind, draw a bell curve, right? And that's Absolutely. the different, you look at the left side and the right side, and there are the ends of the curve. So what you're saying just to belabor this, is there are going to be, as expected, some product that is within spec, but on that tail end, too thin, or within spec, too thick. But they're still within spec, technically. But the consumer is not appreciating, you know, where it sits on the bell curve. Like, they don't right. They're they going to live care. right here. We're going to live right yeah, They want to be in that sweet spot. Okay. Got mm-hmm. it. All right. So... Oh, I have so many other questions on that on that regard, but <laughs> let's go to let's go to the fun stuff. I mean, there's so much more we could dig into in terms of your experience with different companies and retailers and and all you've accomplished. So so proud of you. But what's really exciting is at this stage of your career, you're starting this new gig. So please share with us what's what's going on over there yeah, at Wicked so- Results. You know, I, I appreciate the the moment to talk about Wicked Results. Uh, it's been a it's been a long and hopeful journey to eventually create my own company, and finally, I got to a stage in my life, and I'm like, it's now or never, right? So, right. you know, hopefully, I might inspire somebody that's sitting on the on the park bench today, and they want to create <laughs> their own company. But um, I became a John Maxwell certified coach, speaker, and trainer in 2021, and that was the the I would say the second step in the process for me to get to get my company started. So I I'm really very focused on delivering results for business and delivering results for people. So in the business spectrum, what I'm really hoping to do, and I do currently now, is to grow businesses, whether it's a small business, whether it's a medium-sized business, mm-hmm. I can take my knowledge, my skills and experience and come into the company and help them fix a problem or maybe market a different way whatever the technical things are, wherever the business opportunities are, but also coming into that company, looking at the talent that they have and being able yeah. to identify the strengths within the talent and opportunities to secure talent to help the organization grow. So I've been doing that now for a couple of years and I have 
com- I have companies from the restaurant industry all the way through CPG and a couple of retailers as well. Wow. Do you come in? I mean, I know you're a business consultant owner. Do you come in, like, could you come in to say an emerging brand and work on work, put your hat on for product developer? That's, you know, that's all they really yeah. need from you. Will you, are you doing that? Or, you know, no, I'm doing soup to nuts or I'm out of here. Yeah. You know, how's it work? So I can, because of my experience. So I've been everything from a scientist to a quality person, but in the last company that I worked for, I was actually an executive leader for the company running, helping to run the company. So I right. can go from top, from soup to nuts. You said it great. Like I could go from top <laughs> to bottom, right? If, if we're trying to figure out a strategic plan for a company, I'm yeah. capable of creating that. If it's if this moment where we're in the manufacturing plant and we have uh, what, I was, what I would say is lack of mature systems or processes, I'm capable of, of consulting in that space as well. When it comes to being able to secure the right talent for the future of the organization, I am extremely experienced in securing talent, extremely experienced. So yeah. I like to think of myself as, uh, very experienced in people, processes, mm-hmm. and products. And being able to bring that forward for an organization is is just, it's great when when you got a company that, that has really strong aspirational mm-hmm. goals, but they're not there yet. And it's a small mm-hmm. tweak. And the next thing though, they're, they're a rocket flying around. Well, that must be so satisfying, you know, it, at this. It is. Yeah, that it's must been be great. It's so cool. Well, I think that's, exciting. Is there anything else you wanted to say about Wicked Results? Is there a sweet, I mean, I know that we talked about like, what are all the things you can do? You just explain them and um, you've been doing some TED Talks and and the talent piece of it. And is there any part of that that you'd like to lean in on more someday and maybe bring in more Wicked yeah, results I, employees. I, I appreciate or... the opportunity to, to talk a little bit more about it. I, I, this morning, I was asked a question around how long have I been in the space of communication? And I started to think about it. And I have been practicing studying my communication skills for probably a solid 20 years. That is mm-hmm. in writing and speaking in presentation styles, et cetera. So I just recently completed the TEDx York Beach, Maine opportunity where I coached uh, 10 speakers across a multitude of different areas. So they could have been a scientist. They could have been a personal growth person. They could have been yeah. a, a thought leader, a thought changer, whatever that, whatever that space is, right? And being able to take their content and yeah. help them craft it and then lay in the voice and facial expressions, hand gestures, body language, emotion, and movement to be able to communicate such a complex topic in less than 15 minutes. I tell you, that was one of the, uh, that was just a moment in my career where I look back and I think, I never thought that I would be doing that, but wow, what a great opportunity to do that. And to inspire these people. Oh, yeah. This little of an idea. Now they're like on the TEDx platform. It's like amazing, right? Like that was like, that was just amazing. It was like so many moments of just like watching this person every week 
just get better and better and better and knowing that yeah. they're going to be on the red dot. Like they're going to be standing on that red dot <laughs> doing that speech. It was just, it was so rewarding. So fulfilling. It was amazing. Bravo. Bravo to you once again. Yeah. While we're on the topic, if someone wanted to just explore some ideas with you, what's the best way to, to talk about wicked results? And yeah, sure. uh, I have a website. I'm in the okay. process of getting ready to update it so that, the communication is a little bit faster and clearer through sure. uh, through my through my uh, website, but you know I'm available on LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn yep. a lot. A lot of people reach directly out to me via LinkedIn, so I would say that you know if you want to reach out to me, use LinkedIn or directly contact me through Wicked Results. There's a there's an email yeah. system set up. You can just easily reach out. Perfect. Good contact us strategy, and that's Wicked W H I C K E D wickedresults.com all one word so we are getting to the end and yep. I'd like to ask all my guests if they have a nonprofit organization they'd like to give a shout out to man I have a heart for animals and yeah. there's an organization in Massachusetts called the boss the boxerrescue.org and I have been a long sponsor and donator as well as my sister uh, my sister, uh, Kathy Custer, she recently passed away. And mm -hmm. uh, that was yeah. one of her favorite nonprofits. And uh, we own a lot of boxer t-shirts. <laughs> a, a lot of boxer t-shirts. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So when you say boxer, that's literally the boxer, B-O-X-E-R, rescue.org, yes, that kind of yes. boxer, like a dog. The boxer okay. breed, yes. Oh, oh that's perfect um, in honor of your sister. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And thanks for coming out on a Monday night to chat sure. with me on, on the podcast. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. It's great to see you and, and chit chat with you. I mean, we've had a great time work. We had a great time working at Campbell Soup and it's good to still maintain a relationship and friendship. So it's good to see you again as well. If you've learned even a kernel of an idea or was inspired by this episode, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcast. Be sure to share out the hashtag CPGCX because CPGCX really and truly rocks. You have been listening to the My Curious Colleague Podcast with Denise Benito. Thank you for your time.